0: Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to Other Minds and Hands as we return to our holiday series here as we, uh, we come back to the Christmas Carol, uh, which we talked about last year. I am joined by uh, by Maggie and, and unfortunately by Maggie's cold today.
1: <laughs> oh, it's new. I always have something, don't I? But yeah, I've got a little bit of a rough voice today, but I feel okay. Also, yeah. I'm laughing because the first comment in the Twitch is good afternoon and you said good afternoon and we're about to talk about good afternoon and spirit. so good afternoon.
0: Good afternoon to you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, fine, Corey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice to be here. Nice to talk about Christmas. I kept my festive for such
0: occasions That's right that's right um, yeah so last year we were looking at um, last year's examination of the Christmas Carol which we did over two different sessions we did one session on like old ones and one session on new ones and um, it was um, it was a really neat moment of going through and, and trying to you know looking at the patterns of relationships between the books. Uh, b- between the book and the and the stories, *Christmas Carol*, of course. One thing I don't even know if we acknowledged this at the time. It's an interesting example because it's so short.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's
0: a very very short book. In other words, it is a it is a length of story which is actually better suited to a feature film adaptation than most novels are.
1: There's uh, not a lot of cutting that needs to happen. It lends itself quite well to a format that will fit. Twenty yeah. six minutes to ninety minutes.
0: Yeah, I mean, like the novella, or even you know, a longish short story, is kind of the quantity of plot you can do in a in a yeah. in a feature film. Um, so it, it is one. It is another thing that makes the the that makes a Christmas Carol. I, in in one way, it sort of um, one of the kind of confounding variables, right? Um, is how much you have to cut, like the the amount of compression that's required in order to fit the, um, to to fit the original story, you know, some version of the original story, uh, into this new shape, right? Into this new thing. And not only does that mean, you know, place certain important restrictions or important, uh, parameters on the adapted story, but it also means that different, like, you know, when different people approach that and, you know, the question of what are they going to cut and what are they not going to cut is going to be, you know, You have these huge differences available so that you can get, you know, different films that are quite significantly different because they're focusing on different elements of the story. Um, And so, as I say, these are the kinds of uh, confounding variables, as I say, that to some extent that larger works can can introduce. Um, Similarly, the difference between larger uh, films I mean I know you were talking about this recently when we're looking at the difference between for instance with Pride and Prejudice right the single feature film versus the um, you BBC. know the, the multi-part thing where you just have more scope where you have more space um, so yes in some ways Christmas Carol helps to choosing a short work like the Christmas Carol to look at adaptations of enables us to focus, I don't know, I want to say almost more purely on the decisions that they might, you know, because those big decisions, you don't have to, you're not pushed to those big decisions uh, and, just as much.
1: And I love that we're looking at this one for similar reasons, that because there isn't that same conversation about compression, we get to look at some other mm-hmm. elements. And I, I really enjoyed last year where we looked at six or eight I think different it was six adaptations oh, yeah. of this, because we yeah. did two episodes, and I think yeah. there was three per episode. Yeah. Um, and we got to look at, you know, Doctor Who and Spirited and, you know, all Muppets and all these wonderful different reiterations of it. So it's been fun to look at that broad scope of the story. And then now we're going to be looking in at the openings, which follows our our previous series, but like zeroing in on that focus. So you do get to look at that. And then we we're just talking about what we're going to do next week. And we think we'll look at a specific moment in these versions. So we can really zero in. I love that we've kind of gone this like full circle of let's take a look at this as a case study of six different adaptations, really broadly, you know, top surface stuff. Yes. And then we get to dig down a little bit more, which is good fun.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, um, uh, so again, the three films we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about the classic 1951 Scrooge film. Um, Alistair
1: Sim, I believe. was.
0: Alistair Sim. Yeah. And that's, isn't that the one where like he, Puts Tiny Tim on his shoulder at the end, and that's like the that iconic image, which is made I think into so, yeah. like and the and it
1: was on the cover of the DVD for everything else, yeah. and now has been used over and over and over again.
0: And it was uh, was used as like the trophy image in Scrooge, remember when he gets this trophy yeah. that he chucks away in the in the thing, it's got that image on it right of oh i
1: forgot that
0: yeah i forgot that yeah, yeah. there were like uh-huh. oh, those references anyway i was because uh, yeah, i watched them back to back last year so i was i was i was, struck by it. I was, I, I was in there i was getting it <laughs> um but um anyway so we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about the 1951 scrooge film we're going to talk about the muppet christmas carol and we're going to talk about spirited and, I still but,
1: argue that Muppet Christmas Carol is the only adaptation that ever needs to be considered however
0: <laughs> right I know I'm, I'm
1: excited to talk about the others
0: yeah exactly and it's it's so it's it's an interesting um the the kind of spectrum that we have there it's not only interesting spectrum in time 1951 um, what was Muppets 90 something mm-hmm. okay. 92 92 that range and then spirited and then we'll which was those. like. Two last years year. ago, or something last year, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, so th- we have them set apart significantly in time. That's one interesting uh, element. Another is that they form an interesting spectrum in terms of what sort of adaptation they are. Right. Um, we have the straight up retelling adaptation, just attempting to depict the story, uh, you know, in film. Um, uh, in the 1951 version, the Muppets version. Is also doing mostly a straight up, but not entirely a straight up. But a little tongue in
1: cheek. There's a few added things like hola skirts and tiki torches, but you know, we look past that.
0: Right, exactly. Not to mention the overall element of Muppet casting, right, as well, which which, um, lends this sort of secondary text, right, to it. Like that, that is to say, like, when Fozzie the Bear is cast as someone, there's this overlay, right? Um, uh, uh, just as there is the overlay with Gonzo as Dickens uh, from the beginning. So anyway, like, so it's it's obviously, but but nevertheless, like within those framework with 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 some of the extra bits, um, which are told from a modern perspective, right? Like Rizzo the Rat is our representative as like modern audience, essentially, you know, yeah. um, relating to the um, to the to the Dickens. Anyway, so. And then you've got spirited, which is, um, an entire, uh, uh, you know, very different, you know, which is a, a, a full blown kind of, uh, you know, modulation, um, you know, it, interacting with the original, but not right. attempting to depict the original. Um, okay. So with these four, then let's look at opening. So let's start as we've been doing with the opening of the text.
1: Yeah, let's start with the words.
0: Yes, okay. Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. And then we have the delightful uh, digression. Mind, I don't mean to say that I know of my own knowledge, what there is particularly dead about a doornail. I might have been inclined myself to regard a coffin nail as the deadest piece of ironmongery in the trade, but the wisdom of our ancestors is in the simile, and my unhallowed hands shall not disturb it or the country's done for. You will therefore permit me to repeat emphatically that Marley was as dead as a doornail. By the way, you can tell, like, this paragraph shows really clearly how he like... This was a work that was written for public performance, right? Yeah. Um, the you can hear it. the 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 character of the narrator's voice is very much more forceful, interjecting like that, talking, you know, making comments of this kind. Um, it's it's not uh, not like night and day from all of Dickens' other narrators, but it's very it's very uh, uh, pronounced. Scrooge knew he was dead? Of course he did. How could it be otherwise? Scrooge and he were partners for I don't know how many years. Scrooge was his sole executor, his sole administrator, his sole assign, and his his sole residuary legatee, his sole friend, and sole mourner. And even Scrooge was not so dreadfully cut up by the sad event, but that he was an excellent man of business on the very day of the funeral, and solemnized it with an undoubted bargain. The mention of Marley's funeral brings me back to the point I started from. There is no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the story I am going to relate. If we were not perfectly convinced that Hamlet's father died before the play began, there would be nothing more remarkable about his taking a stroll at night in an easterly wind upon his own ramparts than there would be in any other middle-aged gentleman rashly turning out after dark in a breezy spot, say St. Paul's churchyard, for instance, literally to astonish his son's weak mind. Okay, more digressions. (laughs) Quite (laughs) a digression on Um, that one. So... The emphasis is on Marley's death at the beginning with the with the hints at supernatural stuff coming later. Right. Like if, you know, it must be understood that Marley was very definitely dead and the certification of his death and who signed the death certificate and everything. Right. Um, Hinting that some, uh, you know, ghostly things are going to be happening later on in the story. Right. we move on from here to some comments about Scrooge, right? It uh, transitions from Marley's, Marley's death to Scrooge. Right. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire, secret and self-contained, and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, and made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. A frosty rime was on his head and on his eyebrows and, and his wiry chin. He carried his own low temperature always about with him. He iced his his office in the dog days and didn't thaw it one degree at Christmas. So there's our introduction to Scrooge. Right. Um, I love
1: that, that whole bit. I yeah, just feel like you don't read stuff like that anymore in character description. A frosty rime was upon his head and on his eyebrow a wiry chin carried his own low temperature always about with him like mm-hmm. that that's such a great descriptor yes if yes. i read that in a script now i'd be like fresh amazing but <laughs> <when> it's under and <laughs> something
0: <else>. exactly <laughs> yes um i love what they're doing what he does here with the connection between scrooge and the cold right this is going to be a winter story it's going to be a christmas story right so um but his emphasis is on the cold within him froze his old yeah. features, right? So there is a cold within him, and it has had an impact on him. His description, how he's described, is an expression of that cold. As you say, like his his white hair and beard. And we're told he has a white hair and beard, but it's characterized as frost, which is like spontaneously, um, uh, which is an, spontaneously emerging from from with as as an expression of this cold uh, that is that is within him. Uh, as you say, carries it around always with him.
1: And um, doesn't thaw it one degree in Christmas, like tying it into the time frame, too. Like, it doesn't matter that it's Christmas. He's not going to get warmer.
0: Yes. Though it's interesting that that's the first reference to Christmas since the title, right? Yeah. Um, the first moves that Dickens makes are first to establish the death of Marley and thereby hint at the ghostly creepy, you know, spooky story that's coming up later on. Um, emphasizing death and emphasizing that, like, there might be some doubt about the death, right, is, uh, you know, or, you know, readers might have some doubt and so they must put those doubts aside. Um, that's the first move that Dickens makes. And the second move that Dickens makes, well, okay, yeah, the second move that, that Dickens makes is to introduce Scrooge um, and to focus on his character. And it's all about that coldness. Coldness, which is presented in the context of squeezing wrenching grasping scraping clutching covetous old sinner um, his stinginess his um, his uh, hard and sharp as flint um, his you know well unfriendliness as well um, self-contained and solitary as an oyster um, that's the it's the it's it's in the context of that stuff that we're told about this cold that is within him, right? Um, you know, I think about... Um, <laughs> I can't help but think, in part because I read it recently, <clears throat> the, um, the concept that C.S. Lewis puts in The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, right, always winter and never Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like the way that... Lewis kind of identifies those two things which are associated together, winter and Christmas. Right. And you've got all the coldness and harshness and, you know, unliveliness of an oppression of winter, but you have this oasis of like warmth and festivity and happiness and friendliness. uh, That is Christmas right in the middle of it. And, So emphasizing that it's always winter, but never Christmas is a way that, you know, Lewis does of emphasizing how like what the nature of the witch's curse is uh, on Narnia here. You can see once again, there's like the coldness of winter. Right. And there is the warmth of Christmas and emphasizing the coldness, associating him with that wintry coldness. Um, but again, but distancing him from winter. Right. There's a it's always winter and never Christmas. And Scrooge is right, counting those separate. two. Yeah. Um, and but it's important, I think, to mention, especially in the context of some of what we're going to see in the adaptations, um, it's important to mention that he doesn't start with an emphasis on Christmas. Right, he does. We're not, we don't begin with like the warmth of Christmas and then show Scrooge to be a deviating from that, right? Like a variation. No, and from,
1: for, and from the start, this doesn't feel like the Christmas story. This mm-hmm. is a grisly, grim, old man.
0: Yes, yes.
1: This happens to be at Christmas time, but it's not really a Christmas story.
0: Yeah, and we don't even know, like, you know, I mean, he mentions Christmas, but he mentions Christmas in the same sentence that he talks about the dog days of summer, right? So it's mentioned as a season, right, and as a season that doesn't affect him. But neither does summertime, right? Neither heat nor cold uh, affects Scrooge. So we still haven't actually been told that it's Christmas time yet, yeah, yes, right? right. Um, there. So I get it's it's you know it's been name dropped there in that paragraph, but we don't even we don't even know. Um, Oh man, I love that sentence. I remember talking about this last year too. No wind that blew was bitterer than he. Um, right? Oh, so good. So, so good.
1: good. So good. No poetic. pelting
0: rain less open to entreaty. Um, I was
1: just having a conversation about descriptions of a friend about it was about like the stereotypical way women are described, and it's always about how uh, she was pretty, but she didn't know it. You know, right. she, all these like, attraction physical attributes and how tiring that is because it doesn't actually tell you anything about the character. Mm-hmm. And then you read something like this and you're like, "Wow, that tells me exactly what kind of person this is and it doesn't matter who I cast." Because it doesn't rely on looks. Like this is all about the steely cold yeah, persona that they're able to embody and you know, it's very cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so so the where uh, I should I should add because, you know, it's something that came up such that we were commenting on it while I was reading it through. Um, a third element that is very, very prominent in the beginning is the voice of the narrator, right? All those interruptions and digressions. Um, yeah. The Hamlet digression. The dead is a doornail digression, right? I mean, of the, we get essentially, you know, two out of the first four paragraphs are that kind of chatty narrator voice aside, right? So that strikes me this is clearly an important choice right we are we are meant to be aware of the fact that we are listening to a storyteller um tell us a story where there's there's a kind of um we're not just being dropped into and drawn into the story we're focused on the teller on the first person character who is telling us this story um and that, I think, is... That seems to be important. I mean, Dickens seemed to think it important. He uh, he did emphasize that. And of course, as I said, as we know, he did also go around doing stage performances uh, of, of this. So he was very aware. Whether he wrote it specifically for the stage or whether that was just a thing that kind of came about after he had written it, I, I don't know enough about Dickens' history to know that. Um, but... Um, one way or the other, um, that is clearly a, a, a critical element of the story as it's as it's presented.
1: What do you make of the title? I'm sure we talked about this last year, but toward revisiting, like, there's no way to separate it from a Christmas story. And now we say Christmas Carol. This is all any of us know. But when this first came out, it did not have that connotation because this made the connotation. So- yeah. What do you think that reference
0: is to things? Well, I mean, Christmas Carol, I mean, uh, the idea of. um, So, caroling. Obviously, Christmas Carols are songs, right? But within English culture, and this features in several of the film adaptations. That is like the groups of people going around singing songs, right? Like mm-hmm. at people's doorways and stuff. Um, that's a, a thing. Like that's a cultural phenomenon, right? To go around and sing carols at people's doors. Um, and what was plainly done in the 19th century. So when, it's, when the story is called A Christmas Carol, it not only associates the story with the songs that are sung, but I think that sort of occasion of telling it right in my mind, it's like the, the, again, the narrator, that narrator voice basically putting himself in the position of like, I am knocking on your door and here to like, you know, relay this story to you just like a Christmas caroler would be knocking on your door and coming to sing, to sing these songs. Um, but, uh, anyway so that but it is it is interesting in that a lot of the christmas it's associated with music then in that sense right but not but that doesn't like show up that much i mean the connection between of the the films we're looking at two out of the three of them are actually musicals right um so that's a connection that many of the adaptations choose to really dwell on right Um, but it does not seem to be the way in which the original was uh, was sort of capitalizing on that connection yeah
1: Yeah. Um, I just thought it was an interesting choice you know like it could have been called Scrooge Mm-hmm. It's even called Marley, but right. a Christmas Carol. It's it seems quite different from what this introduction shows us. Yeah,
0: yeah, um, yes. Um, the other interesting thing, I don't think again. Like I've never really been part of like the Christmas Caroling culture, you know. Um, but normally, it's groups of people like. One person knocking on your door to sing a song is weird. Like, that would be weird. Wouldn't that be weird? I think that would be weird. As far as I know, that would be weird. Um, And so, I don't know. I don't know. Thinking of this as a Christmas carol, is there... Some sort of invitation. I, I don't know. Like I gotta say, it is a it is a peculiar metaphor. All I can think of is that that relationship. That like you know, I am come to you in this holiday season to tell you a story, right? Like yeah. carolers might show up at your door, you know, and sing Christmas carols. Um, but I know yeah, so
1: much of it is almost attached to. Keynesian Victorian type you know like mm-hmm. somebody competent which like you wear those that clothing and it's a performance to go caroling is Victoria's dress.
0: Yes. Yes. It's
1: now attached to Christmas carol.
0: Yeah, well okay, so that's actually really interesting. Um uh, and yes, Gregory, the the um Yeah, hang on a second. The full title Full title of *Christmas Carol* in prose, yeah, it might be. We since, yes, yeah, Um, but uh, anyway, I I was focused on what JJ was just saying. Um, Is it sort of like the several ghosts showing up at Scrooge's home? Um, Yes, and I think this is one of the reasons why the knocker is such an important play, right? We. You know, the Arthur Rackham image at the top of stave one here is uh, uh, is not. And by the way, they're called stave one. Right. This is the first verse of the carol. So there is a deliberate attempt to 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 parallel the book to a Christmas carol that would be sung. Right. But I'm focused on the kind of invitation. That seems to be be implicit in it. Right that we're to go on and share this story. Like we're supposed to be caroling, you know, sharing this story with others like uh you do with Christmas carols, right? Again, you don't you don't sit and sing or listen to Christmas carols by yourself. That's not the point. Right. right? Um
1: well, some of us do, but yeah. Well I'm not
0: saying you can't. I'm just saying that's not the culture, right? Um that's not caroling. That's listening to carols. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And similarly, um uh as J.J. was saying, Scrooge has people show up. You know, they're not knocking on the door. Instead, the door knocker itself. Trans. I, normally, carolers would come and they would knock your your door knocker, right, and then they would sing at your door. Um, in this book, the door knocker itself becomes the in the beginning of the intrusion, right. Um, and then it's not only Marley's ghosts, ghost, but then the, the other ghosts um, that show up and intrude themselves upon him. Um, and so I think there is a kind of parallel with that sort of caroling situation. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. And
1: yeah. I digress, I, but I just thought it was interesting.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah. I, I agree. I think it is. Um, OK, so let's think through the adaptations now in the 1951 Scrooge adaptation. Um it starts with the same well, it starts with the book. Again, the opening credits. You know, we're opening the book. It shows us
1: text, we're zooming into pages, we see stave one very text it looks very text focused.
0: Can I point out a really small detail I noticed that really jumped out at me?
1: Yeah.
0: The book is put down in front of the camera. The Christmas Carol, right? And then a hand reaches over and opens the book. And it, and it says, like, with Alistair Sim, right? You know, the, announcing the act. So it, start, it starts the credits off with the, 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 main, the, the, the lead actor. But the hand, it was the hand that struck me. Because the hand came in, it comes in from the side, and it's, so the book's in front of you, and it's someone's right hand coming in and pulling the cover towards them. That is, the body that would have to be behind that arm is on the other side of you. it was almost every time I've ever seen a book on screen, it's being turned from the viewer's yeah. perspective, right? Yeah. A hand reaches up from the bottom, usually the left hand, but sometimes the right, but in any case, it's, it's the point of view of the body it's inviting us to be like you imagine you are the one turning the pages of this book uh-huh. right I, I can't even think of an example of a book i've seen on screen where that is not what's happening even when you get like comical plays on this like Monty python and the holy grail when like the gorilla hand comes and grabs the it's the still... the lady's hand there's still i mean and then the gorilla's yeah. turning it right so you turn from like the lady with the painted nails to the gorilla but it's still playing with that same thing. This hand comes in on the other side. So the person holding is standing across from you or not Which, even across, yeah, but I like off to the that. side. So it's like
1: they're telling you the story. They're yes. Like, Here, look, yeah. They look, they,
0: they present the book to you and then they turn it for us to read. It's faced towards us. Like it's not face towards them. Yeah. It's faced towards us. But this other person, to, and it, there's this sense of like, it's definitely being shared with me, you know, given to me and, and presented to me by somebody else rather than mm-hmm. uh, just like, Imitating the reading experience um, on on my own, I was it, was it was a really really small detail, but I was it was. No,
1: that's great. I mean, again, a little filmic thing of like, oh, I didn't even notice that, but that's such a great way to be like, I'm presenting a story to you. Yeah, it's not you sitting down and reading it; it's here. To let me tell you. Yeah, and the nice and... little
0: when the hand reaches over, it reaches over and grabs the middle of the hardback cover and pulls it towards him. It's like not like opening a books. It was like opening a box basically. I mean like the, 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 hand gesture, the hand and arm gesture was nothing I would ever associate with opening a book. You know, it just yeah. wasn't holding it like a book. It wasn't moving it like a book. It was, even if you were imagining holding a book upside down to yourself so that someone else could read it and turning the pages, you would do it on the top. You wouldn't reach yeah. across the middle and do that. No. Right. Um, huh. Again, like, like, like opening a box. Uh, it was, it was, uh, I was, I, I don't know when I was focused on that scene. I was, I found that really striking, but it seemed to love, me to,
1: I love that you're starting to look at things filmically. Fantastic. <laughs> God. I didn't talk like that well done.
0: <laughs> and it, and I, I was reminded of it when thinking about the, the narrator voice, um, in Dickens, right. That it's, um, yeah. and of course, then the first thing that we get is a narrative voiceover. Yeah. Um, so in for bo- in both of those ways, both of the the way that the opening book images are presented in order to give the sense of somebody else is showing you this book. And this is not just a a a sort of illusory private experience of you reading this book. Right. Um, there's there's definitely a, a second person <laughs> there in the in the equation with you participating. Um, then you hear the voiceover right so so you're getting you're getting a definite narrator's voice as well, which returns um, uh, which returns fairly quickly um, uh as the as the scene as the opening scene progresses there um but uh anyhow um then we so then we 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 get the opening line Marlowe was dead to begin with um but it shifts almost immediately. Um, they include they kept the hint of ghostly activities, right? Um, that is, it. Uh, uh, let's see uh, where we're. Um, that this must be distinctly understood for nothing wonderful can come of the story that I'm going, or nothing wonderful can come of the story. I'm going to relate. So like they, 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 they tack that on, but then they immediately segue to Scrooge. Yeah. Um, in fact, they immediately did that thing that I always find really interesting and slightly vexing, but also really interesting when people do, when adapters take a line from the book, like, they lift a line verbatim from the book, but they either give it to a different character or they put it in a completely different context or they even change the meaning of it completely. But they've anchored it in the book, right? And that always, like, whenever I know a book well enough to recognize a quotation like that and yeah. recognize that it's at a place... I mean, so obviously this was happening to me a lot in the Peter... Well, not a lot, but it happened it happens several times in the Peter Jackson films. Um uh, with different effects. And in the Hobbit films uh, also. Yeah. Um, but they did that here too. Um, Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to is the line I'm mm-hmm. thinking of. They quote that. It's like the third line of the... thing, But they use it as like the introduction to Scrooge. And they use it to show... to As if the sentence were referring just to his financial reputation. Like they...
1: Yeah.
0: He's in the exchange, right? We see him there uh, with other men of business, right? And he walks across, uh, he walks past, and these other men of business greet him uh, and uh, treat him with obvious uh, with obvious respect, right?
1: Yeah. Um, Your servant, sir, uh, Mr. Scrooge. Yeah, there's very much a deferential behavior towards him.
0: Exactly, exactly. So, of course, that line is, in the original work, is a way of certifying the death of Marley, right? It's just part of proving that. Uh, you, how do you know Marley's dead? Because Scrooge signed the register of his burial, right? Mm. And Scrooge's name was good for anything, was was good upon change for anything he chose to put his mind his, his hand to, right? Like that's that's uh, um, that's how you know that Marley's dead. And instead, they just they shift it and focus on it. Um, to um, uh, to be establishing his reputation, and it was odd because Scrooge seems quite friendly with the people there, right? The, the as I'm you say, the the deferential, yeah. the respect with which they treat him and everything. I mean, yeah. he's not friendly. He's not acting nice towards them. They're not, you know, it, it doesn't seem like they're going to go get a beer or something like that, right? I mean, it's not that kind of uh, that. But yet showing him in a kind of social context at the beginning yeah. seemed to me a really striking uh, ch- uh, change. There's there's something they're doing there, right?
1: Well, and, but, and they all seem to be the same to a certain extent there. So they're all coworkers. someone exchanged, exchange oh, you're heading off early, you're off to celebrate Christmas. They don't know anything about each other, if that's yeah. what they're asking, Scrooge, yeah. right? They're just like, ah, oh, it's Christmas Day, this guy's leaving early, he must be... So they're all kind of starting on this equal. So having him separate himself out from that is our first little nod of like, "Mm, he's not quite part of the same crowd that they seem to be, but they don't know anything about him. It's this impersonal relationship of work colleagues.
0: Yes. Yes, it's true. But even that is way more than we're given of Scrooge in the book. Right, yeah. where the emphasis is on his graspingness, right, which we don't even know yet about Scrooge. All we know is that these men who are talking to him defer to him and respect him. He's not particularly intimate with them, and he doesn't celebrate Christmas. Right, right. that's that's all we know about him. Um, we don't find out that he's squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, and covetous. We don't find out that he's solitary as an oyster. Indeed, he's not solitary as an oyster at the beginning. and not particularly congenial, but not solitary. Um,
1: No, and he's also quite poetic. You know, he's got that line about the nature of things and uh, the ants toil and grasshoppers sing. Yes. Like, that's not the Scrooge we met in the text.
0: Yes. And he, I mean, he has a cynical attitude, but yes, it's expressed rather poetically there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's not icy demeanor that lowers the temperature.
0: Right. It does not look, I mean, I don't know. Do you think they were going for a little bit of temperature lowering in the sense that, like, the other two guys are really, like, upbeat and cheerful and congenial, but Scrooge... um,
1: Is a buzzkill?
0: Yeah, it's a buzzkill kind of coming yeah. through. I don't I, If they were going for that, it didn't succeed, I don't think. Because yeah,
1: but I, mean, I guess it's a different way to try to lower the temperature, but it does just kind of feel like it's a slightly different character that they're portraying. He's still rude. He's still business focused, but it is a slightly different first image that I think we get from the text.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, because like when he leaves, the, we see the two other the two other guys still on screen for a second after he walks off and they don't look chilled like it doesn't look like he's you know frozen the room and they you know all the fun they were having is now gone um, I mean again he's clearly not part of it and he separates himself from it um, but uh, but yeah there, there's very little of that impact and then of course the, the, the next follow-up right? I don't want to go too deep into the film, but uh, could just just focusing on the opening. We then see him go down. Now we, we see him step outside and there's snow, right? So we do get we're the... S- yeah.
1: And we're still in the opening building, so that's still the same. But right. yeah, they step outside and it's snow. We know it's cold.
0: He's coming down the steps, steps. and is met on the steps by one of his debtors, right? And
1: not even met. The guy's been waiting there. Like yeah. he's, he's on the top step waiting for Scrooge to step out.
0: Yes. Yes. And he's asking for more time and Scrooge is, this is where we begin to see, um, you know, squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous, right? Um, His impatience and intolerance for the idea of giving him an extension on the loan. Um, Yeah.
1: And there's like the hard edge of, I can't, I'm looking at the script, I can't pay you, you know, I need more time, did I give you more time? But then it cuts straight to, I can't take my wife to debtor's prison, and then leave her behind. Yes. You know, that juxtaposition of, well, I can't do this to her, well then don't, leave her, like, it's such a cold rebuttal and quick. Yes. And to me, that was the first moment we see, like, ooh, you're a real jerk, huh?
0: Right, right. And the thing that they are showing uh, the, the the guy the debtor is trying to make a personal appeal to scrooge's empathy and compassion right um and we can see the uh how thoroughly that appeal fails right there's no uh no chance
1: of that one it doesn't
0: register even it seems with Scrooge. even the even the the way that he replies with logic right when the guy asks for more time he says did i ask for more time when you ask me for the loan um, then why should I grant you more time to pay it back Right. Um, uh, you know the, yes there's there's a logic to that response right but, um, uh, but a logic which utterly ignores the context of the situation right of course giving a loan and paying back a loan are not exactly the same thing right um, but um But even there, what they seem to be emphasizing primarily is his distance from human experience, his distance from human emotion. Right.
1: And complete lack of interest in engaging with it.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, So as I I, I was saying that to some extent, I keep quoting this because it's the very first sentence that we get about Scrooge. He was a tight fisted hand at the grindstone. Squeezing, wrenching, grasping, right? Um, but that's not what we're seeing here.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: it's this is not like I want more money. I refuse to relent. He's just completely unsympathetic to yeah. you know the human circumstances of this other person. Um, it's his distance from humanity that the film seems to emphasize there. Yeah. And it's associated with cold because they're standing in the snow, right? Um, But there's not that same sense of carrying his, you know, uh, carrying his low temperature about with him exactly. Um, Again, we see him being a jerk, but it is primarily insensitivity and jerkiness, not covetousness, not grasping.
1: And the staging of that scene, too. I mean, he's on the top step. This guy's waiting small and meek below him. So there's this power dynamic that's yeah. getting played out on that staircase really strongly. And the guy's tiny. Yes. The, the debtor.
0: Yeah, um, even when they get to even ground, he's still... And, and his body posture, yes. he's crouched down and Scrooge is standing perfectly rigid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, so... This this seems to me important because I think that in both of those opening sequences, both the conversation with the two other guys in the in the exchange and the debtor who meets him on the stairs, they are presenting Scrooge. They're foregrounding Scrooge's relationship with people and how he treats other people. And that's, of course, that's that's there in the text. That's important in the text. But it isn't where Dickens begins. He begins described with the frostiness, right? He begins with this solitary portrait of Scrooge before yeah. he even brings us to show. And when we see Scrooge interact with people in the book, we see him doing similar things again i'm not not saying that what they're doing in the film there is alien to the text it's just interesting in the context of like the opening stuff that we've been doing that that's not where dickens chooses to begin
1: the one of the big things that stuck out to me here that we'll get to when we talk to spirited is the three mentions of good afternoon that are in here (laughs) yes and like now it has a different context because I've watched Spirited, but not that different. Like when you watch this version, the way he says good afternoon really does feel the
0: dismissiveness. Yeah,
1: the absolute good afternoon it does feel like a curse word. Yes. Um. So having that kind of planted in, in the 1951 and now we're seeing so many elements of this. If like you're saying the tiny tip up on the shoulder and the ghost of, uh, of future yet to come. Those iconic things that by the time we get dispirited, we don't need any of this other explanation because we all know it so well. It's just like this tiny little image and we can pull up all this other stuff. So having that tiny little signpost and good afternoon was such a good one to like pull through <laughs> and be like, this is how we phrase this. So I don't know, I can just picture Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell watching this, this Version and picking that out and being like, I got a song,
0: <laughs> right, right. No, it is really, it is really funny. Um, and right. I, I, ha- I almost have to think. Um, I mean, it's just something that we've talked about before. Um, like you know, that we were talking about when we were talking about the Bakshi and the Peter Jackson adaptation, right? That uh, of the Lord of the Rings. Um, that um, it's easy to forget when we think about adaptations. It's it's so tempting to look at a, a modern adaptation of a work that's been adapted before and think about its relationship with the text as if it were a solitary relationship between right. it and the text when much of the time the filmmaker seems to be thinking even more about its relationship to the other films than it is about thinking. About. So, so yes, uh, like the good afternoon thing, I would absolutely believe that the good afternoon thing in spirited is a direct oh, reference is. to this film rather than yeah. to uh, uh, rather than to, to, to anything in the book itself explicitly.
1: And that's what's yeah. other. I think that's one of the things I love so much about adaptation is that like there's so much that a story relies on a modern retelling story relies on not just the original source because there's so much between that. And it's not just like, oh, there's five different versions of Little Women or there's six different versions mm-hmm. of Christmas Carol. It's all the merchandise. It's all the songs. It's all the mm-hmm. families gathering around. It's all the book covers. It's the calendars, like all this other stuff. And you think about it with a little different art that came out um, and the different artists that were then incorporated into the filmmaking as con- conceptual artists, pulling all of that kind of, like institutional knowledge mm-hmm. into an adaptation and being aware of the references that your audience is going to have. Uh, it, it's really clever. You know, it's yeah. a really nice way to honor the text that came before and be aware of what's going to affect it. Taking that phrase and turning it into a song, really clever, really creative. It is. <laughs> it is really it. clever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let me say, we'll make one last point here at the risk of, seeming to strain this one observation too far. But again, in the context of openings, um, I'm not asserting this necessarily about the whole film, but I'm saying as far as the opening is concerned, there seems to me to be um, uh, the way that in which the film focuses on his human relationships, right? Um, the, where they seem to be establishing Scrooge's character, that's where our attention is drawn. Like what, Scro- what makes Scrooge bad that he needs to change is how he treats people. Right. That's what, I, that's what, that's, that's what I'm getting from these opening sequences with Scrooge. Yeah. In the book, that's not the emphasis. Uh, again, it's not that he doesn't emphasize that element, but that's not what we get introduced to. The very first thing we're told about him is that he has a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone. Is this about how he treats people? Yes, indirectly, but it's primarily about his covetous. He's a covetous old sinner,
1: right? And you know, like the the one that's that's jumping to mind as being the closest to that line is Mickey's Christmas Carol,
0: mm-hmm. where
1: Ebenezer Scrooge Scrooge McDuck um, says that Marley left him money for his gravestone. He said, "Ah, oh, I had a bird at sea," like that speaks to that. There are these yes. little moments of yes. you know, tight-fisted tumbling the funds. Yes. Yeah, but you don't, you don't necessarily get that at least, so... What's yeah. You like yeah, no,
0: exactly. I mean, it's, and I do think that it's a significant difference. I do think... I, in fact, I even... Pushing my one observation even further, I wonder if it's even points to a difference between a 19th and 20th century sensibility, as the 1951 film is 100 years later, right, than the original book, um, that what needs to change in Scrooge is his, like, he's a miser. He is, it's his attitude towards money, which is the root problem that he has. And if that changes, other things are going to change, too. Right? Um He needs to decide that there are other, th- like, humans, human relationships are important and the ghosts are going to show him lots of things about his human relationships that need improvement, right? Um But this is, like, held out as something he should be choosing instead of money. Right? Yeah which means his relationship with money, that's the core problem. Whereas again, the film is not setting me up for that. The, the film is setting me up for, he's a jerk. He's (laughs) a jerk to other people. And that's his problem. Right. Um, and that's the thing that needs to change. Um, and the money is like the context in which he's a jerk to people. Yeah. Right. Um, so anyway, I, like I said, I don't want to. I don't want to push it. I don't want to push that too far. But this is. Um, I think of uh, you know all the conversations we've had about um, the question of being faithful to an adaptation. Like nobody would say, I think nobody would say that the opening of that is not faithful to the book. Like they're being, they're doing a faithful adaptation. They're doing yeah. things that are in the book, and yet even when you're doing things, you can still. I think that it's an interesting idea of uh, an actually a truly fundamental change that is being at least pointed to or hinted at in that opening scene, despite the fact that they're being quite faithful, uh, uh, you know, quite, quite close in their adaptation of the story. Um, But let's talk about the Muppets.
1: Let's bring it.
0: (laughs) With the Muppets. um, The number one thing. The obvious difference, right? Think about where we start. the narrative, first yeah. of all. Yeah. Well, we get the opening sequence. The opening sequence, instead of being the book, right? With the hair hand weirdly opening the book. Instead of getting the book, we get the roofs. Flying
1: over the yeah. roofs of London.
0: We're flying over the roofs of London, which looks Lovely. Both
1: are like both are ways to enter a story, though you know, like Mm -hmm. with 1951, they zoomed in so far on the actual page that you could see like the fibers of the paper. Mm -hmm. So they Mm -hmm. were pushing you into it. Yeah, this kind of felt similar. And I was actually thinking about the Grinch that we were talking about the week before, how we have that drone shot of the Benedict Cumberbatch um, Grinch, and we're skiing with the birds. Yes, and so we're part of it coming into Whoville. And I kind of feel that way with the Muppet one. We're flying over the roofs ourselves and joining the story. And then we're welcomed by Charles Dickens Gonzo.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And of course, we get a whole musical number before we meet Scrooge. Right. Um, We get the whole um, it feels like Christmas song at the beginning that like everybody in. So like we open the film by being introduced to everyone, to like everybody, like to the whole culture. The setting. We're, it's, yeah. It's We're immersed like in the, the setting.
1: Ones, like it gives you that establishing shot. Like it's showing you where we are.
0: Yeah. And the the spirit of the establishment shot is the community, right? Yeah. I mean, like everybody together, singing together about um, the things that, you know, make it feel like Christmas. Basically, right is the premise of the song, um, and it's a.
1: Are you thinking of? No, that's the Ghost of Christmas Present" that comes later.
0: No, there's. I, the, isn't that "It Feels Like Christmas" song? Isn't that the one? It's uh,
1: in the street Quarter choir. That's the that Ghost one. of Christmas Present." I
0: don't so know. I think that. I think they're playing it at the beginning. Really? I, yeah, I was just watching it. Let me see.
1: So all I can think of is the when the cold wind blows it chills you chills you to the bone and it's all about
0: Scrooge That's the second one. When 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 Scrooge and, comes in. Yeah, but there's the whole there's the whole other before you meet Gonzo this Dickens. Is what
1: happens This is what happens when I rely on my memory because I've seen it a million times.
0: Right. Um Hang on a second.
1: Okay.
0: Okay. All right. Sorry, I'm like totally calling it up on my phone here. So here we go. Do
1: it, do it.
0: <laughs> um,
1: I'm like, because all I can hear is their oh, cheese is for us, V says.
0: Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. How could that happen? I know how it could happen. Sorry,
1: sorry, that just (laughs) clapped.
0: I know how it could happen. The, I think the music of that is being played behind the credits.
1: Yeah. Oh, yes. The music is playing, yes. That's why I'm
0: thinking of that song first. And why I'm thinking of the Scrooge song as the second song.
1: And the opening credits is that song, the Overture is that song, but it's also a mix of some of the other songs. You definitely mm-hmm. get that music first, but then it mixes in with the other songs. But I think our first actual song is Yes,
0: is the Scrooge song. Yes. yes. But
1: before we actually get the Scrooge song, we get talking vegetables and humor from Rizzo and you know all these other things that are just a totally very different from the Dickens version.
0: Right. But what they emphasize really firmly is the narrator context, again, right? It's the Muppet version, which more than any other that I know of, um, leans heavily on the narrator's voice and even has a similar kind of spirit to um, the narrator in Dickens' actual narrator, who keeps digressing and interrupting the story, right? Yeah. Just as Gonzo keeps interrupting the story in order to tell us, you know, more of the story, but to to assert on himself. And
1: Rizzo digresses even farther, you know. So, like, you'll have Gonzo interrupting, but then you'll have Rizzo taking us, you know, off into the netherworld.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I'm on moto. I wasn't. Remark, uh, wondering how it could happen that I could possibly be wrong. I was how I it could it be wrong? I was wrong about this because I just watched it literally half an hour ago. So, like uh, that, uh, that's that was the thing that yeah.
1: I had the same reaction of Emoto, when it took me a minute for that to fall. And be like, Corey. <laughs> so, um, but, I'm gonna upset myself for a minute just to go blow my nose. I'll be right back.
0: <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so yeah, I do think that the that the narrator. Character, the narrator character that the making of the uh, the narrator character is such a focal point. Um, even the the kind of back and forth with Gonzo and Rizzo, um, where Rizzo is skeptical that he's Charles Dickens, right? Um, and uh, uh, you know, so that we have this. Um, even if all we had were the narrator on screen, like if we had a Gonzo narrator on screen, that by itself would make the narrator figure really prominent. The fact that he's like, I am the narrator and my name is Charles Dickens. And then Rizzo is like, you're not Charles Dickens. And then he has to like sort of, um, uh, you know, prove that he is or something. Um, they're, I mean, they're going so far out of their way to draw attention to the storyteller Thing right that it's I, I think very very remarkable, but the other thing that, but then at the same time, they actually integrate the narrator into the story, yeah. right? That is, and does, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead.
1: Does that does that happen with Dickens? I mean, I don't think so. I don't feel like the narrator no. a character
0: in I, Dickens. Where no, I don't think he. But.
1: There, but the way that the narrator's integrated in the story with the Muppets is very muppet Like It is. They're not actually integrated. They're only integrated when it's funny. Right. <laughs> when they get knocked off by a window or...
0: Well, that's what I mean. And, that's what I mean. Like, it's... it's, But even... <laughs> um, no. Think of the... Remember the big lead that they do when they, he introduces Scrooge? And yeah. he's like, oh, who is he? He's coming. Like, when's he coming? He's coming now! Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right now, and then he comes around the corner, and then the song begins, right? Um, This shows, of course, this implies, right, our narrator's authority over the story in some sense, right? And yet, he's like right there. Like, he's yeah. He's he's not, this is not a separate, like, we're not cutting from like a sitting room where the narrator is, you know, speaking in an armchair and then cut to the snowy, he's standing in the snowy streets of London with Rizzo the yeah. Rat. And he's like, and here's Scrooge. And he just, and he walks, they, they walk by. And then Rizzo is like, ooh, is it cold in here all of a sudden? Because yeah. Scrooge in the Muppet version does, does bring his cold with him, right? And does freeze the room. I loved that. Um, love, that they remembered I
1: that. I hadn't clocked that, like, physical presence element either, because even when they travel, they're hitching a ride to the ghosts. Like, they are traveling physically with them.
0: Yes, yeah, so so and crawling up this, to look like, in windows and all that kind of thing. Yeah.
1: They've never this, like, all narrator elements that yeah. you see in stories. They know because they're watching.
0: Yeah. So he is like both that. the narrator who is, in one sense, in control of the story, but he is... Also, in this other sense, as you say, merely an observer, um, mm-hmm. and it's part of his world that he is looking at. Um, so yeah, it's it is a it is a very peculiar, um, but as they say, enormously prominent, narrator intervention, like you know, narrator perspective, narrator character um, in the Muppet version. It's just—it's the number one thing I find again and again. Like it's—it's—it's it's, it's one of the things that makes that one stand out to me, um, as much as anything. Like the voiceover in, you know, the Scrooge film can't have anything to that, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, no. Yeah, I think we can see this being played on in an interesting way, in spirited. But we'll get there in a minute. Um, the.
1: In terms of adaptation, too, it's just so fun to think about. Because I've, I've had this conversation, like, flippantly in terms of this is one of the best adaptations of Dickens' work for so many reasons. And you get a laugh, and it's like, no, really.
0: Actually, like, it is, it, yeah.
1: <laughs> it doesn't actually matter that there's talking fruits and rats, like, in terms of story and structure and purpose. Like, it's all there. And I remember reading something about Michael Caine getting cast, and he was like, I'm going to play it totally straight, Shakespearean style, totally straight going to pretend as if nothing around me is a Muppet. And he does that, you mm-hmm. know? Like, he is interacting with everyone as if they are a Shakespearean actor.
0: So. Yes. Yes. Um, and that is... The effect of that is to maintain this... To maintain a connection, a kind of immediacy of the story, which, yeah. again, which the the narrator thing would tend to distance me from, right? Um,
1: no, but this brings you along with it, and it brings a super modern context into it. So you have, yeah, they're wearing Dickensian clothes, but they're they're not, they're very modern. You know, well, I mean, typical. it's a
0: Muppet wearing Dickensian clothes, you know, most of the time. Right? Or like a yeah, Muppet the, animal wearing Dickensian clothes.
1: And they're making reference to modern things, you know, like... Yeah. The, the heat wave Tiki outfit and the right. jelly beans and like all these things that are, it's, it, it's a lovely way to bring a modern audience into this. Cause yeah. you know, the Muppets, are they're popular. They have a TV show. They're going to pull you in and lean in to the Dickens element yes. and being one of the closer adaptations we've seen.
0: Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now let's, uh, before we move on, let's talk about the Scrooge song. Because the Scrooge they introduce Scrooge where we get this like a really cool descriptive descriptive paragraph to introduce us to Scrooge. We get the Scrooge song in the um uh we, we get the Scrooge song in the uh, um in the film. Uh first of all, I know again I noticed I thought
1: you were pausing for me to sing it and I was about ready, but you know. <laughs>
0: Well, you got that chills you to the bone, right? You get this. So you get the reference to the cold, right? They're definitely playing on the cold elements of that, um, of that description. Um, but, uh, what do you feel that they emphasize? What's the primary theme of that, of that, of that song? Because it seems to me, again, like, like, uh, Risking generalizing from one thing that, that again, they're emphasizing just like that he's a jerk to people.
1: That he's a jerk to people, and the whole community knows it. Yes. Like everyone's like, there goes Mr. Humbug, there goes Mr. Grinch. Yes. First of all, they reference Grinch, which is pretty great. But everybody's aware of the crappiness of this guy, where we didn't really get that in yes. the original. Yeah. Or and the, like, you're
0: 51. right. Really <laughs> huge emphasis on the community that's a big deal like when all of the community is breaking out into song together about scrooge
1: all of them whether they be the horses or the cheeses for the nieces you know all the way from top to bottom he's hurt them all
0: yeah yeah exactly um yeah so yes everybody feels the same way about him it emphasizes his alienation from the community as a whole. And it's again, it's that community as a whole, the panning over the city and then the looking at the streets and seeing people interacting and everything leading up to, um, uh, leading up to Dickens. Um, So we, we were contextualized in the community to begin with. And that then serves as the backbone for the, uh, the contrasting um, depiction of of Scrooge. So yeah, in that way it's really it's going in a similar direction to the original Scrooge film, but, but stronger. Stronger yeah. b- by showing how everybody else is unified against him in that sense.
1: But that gives it a really good foundation for the reveal, which we'll talk about next time, but the reveal at the end, you know, we've seen his impact on the community and how they receive him. So to see every single character interact with him differently at the end shows a much bigger change than if you just mm-hmm. saw somebody by themselves in a room saying, I'm changed. Like, yeah. sure. You think you are, but right. you know, that, that interaction really kind of shows that.
0: Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, I, um, excellent. Phil is quoting the line. Oh, Mr. Grimm. Right. Scrooge. Scrooge loves time. his money because he thinks it gives him power. If he becomes a flavor, you can bet he would be sour. Yes. Um, there is a reference to his greed uh, and his love of money. Um, but yeah, and
1: every day in every way, Scrooge is getting worse is yeah. how the song ends. It's like there's no hope for this man like he's. What's the word? What's the phrase that they use in in uh, spirited? Unredeemable, something like right. that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yes. And I I was, I wasn't thinking, I'm just, I'm I'm thinking more about the observation you were making because I I wasn't even really tracking with the fact the whole community singing together, right? And the way that that sets him at odds with everybody and the significance of that. This is of course a convention of musicals, right? Everybody bursting into song, right? Or like one random person on a street singing one line, and another random person on the street who's not connected with them singing like the rhyming line or like, you know, finishing the couplet, right. The way in which it suggests like the, the implication, right. That the thing being expressed by this song is this like spontaneous expression of the community. right? Right. Um, and, um, there are of course lots of ways in which musicals play on that. Right. Um, Uh, On that, on that sense. But, um, but I'm not going to get distracted by that. I do think that that's because, yeah, it is a really interesting element. Um,
1: It's just an easy, not an easy way because there's a lot involved in it, but it's a very simple, clear way to separate that person and, and have them be the other. Right. So if everyone's bursting in song and you're not, you stand out. Yeah. If everyone's bursting in song and that song is about how crap you are, right. you're really going to stand out as right. not a good guy.
0: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the freight,
1: like, I'll have to rewatch that for shots, but I feel like most of the shots there are from the ground looking up at him. So he's very powerful and domineering and, and occupying most of the frame. And then that final shot is Scrooge is getting worse and he turns around and catches them singing about him and everybody scatters. And yes. there is that feeling of like, Oh, God, he got it. It's like there's an absolute fear of this guy, and he is so other and separate.
0: And also, I might be wrong about this, but I think, because you've taught me to pay attention to these things, that Scrooge is moving from right to left through a lot of that song.
1: Now, pull it up again.
0: (laughs) I think, I think, there there are definitely a couple of scenes that I remember where he's moving from right to left. And.
1: YouTubing it right now. Yes, I am.
0: <laughs> but uh Yeah.
1: Anyway, I'll let this play while we discuss <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway. Um
1: Oh, they are all and they're all Dutch angles too. He's yeah. to like the whole yes. time. Yes. Oh god, now I want to do a shot for shot analysis. There's pinwheels in the back, it looks all joyful and he just goes right past them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: All right, this is gonna be annoying if I just watch this again with you guys, but maybe that's what we we start off next week. I'll do a shot by shot analysis of this one.
0: Yeah, we should do a we should do a we 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 should do a fan track of this film.
1: Oh yes, (laughs) please done. Yeah. Let my voice recover and I'm in. I might have to sing along. Just deal with that. Okay. We have like five minutes to do spirited. Yeah. Let's, talk about spirited, let's talk about spirited
0: because we have fully five minutes. So, obviously, spirited is the one that is not just trying to do the Dickens story, right? So, modulation is, is the word that you modulation. use. Modulation. That yeah, that's it. Really it's modulated. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's modulated. So, the question so, so sticking then to the basic question, right? What does the opening show us? What are we, what are we getting from this opening shot? Um, I had
1: to rewatch the opening because I didn't quite remember it. And it just made me laugh because it does rely on our entire core knowledge of knowing what the Christmas Carol is. It doesn't explain anything. The ghost of Christmas yet to come
0: pointing skeletally at the tombstone.
1: Yeah. And (laughs) somebody named Karen kneeling in front of it. Like, we all know what that means. Um, but then that is immediately cut by having somebody, "Coffee, please." You know, and a coffee is swooped in by an assistant. So we're on a set, and there's a PA there, and you're like, Kee. "Yes." So showing us the business side of the Dickens world is such a fun spin on and we idea. Get,
0: yeah, and and we get the narrator voiceover, right? Yep. Um, Telling us who turns out also to be a character. So we have like the integration in the world, but we get uh, we get the voiceover narrator Um, and. um, And he emphasized, right, the point is change, right? Change is they're in the business of change. And so it points immediately to what we were talking before as like the core uh, element of the Christmas carol story. Right. So it pushes us all the way up to that. Um, we get a sort of funny parallel, right, of um, uh, the Scrooge description, right? Um, so, I mean, when, when you think about the opening of the book, the death of Marley, emphasizing the death of Marley, Marley was dead, right? Um, and the description of Scrooge and how. Um, you know, wrenching, grasping, and covetous he is, and his uh, chilling uh, of the atmosphere around him. Spirited does play on both of those things, at the it very does, start,
1: in a, in a very different way. Because in a very different a way.
0: Yeah. So, like, by start, st- because it's true that starting with the um, the skeletal ghost of Christmas yet to come, pointing at the tombstone, makes us think of not only the book, but. All the other movies and everything, too. Um, We um, uh, it's also like we're talking about death, right? We start with death at the beginning Um, and then like Marley's death, um, though, there's a comical reversal. Right. We see her sink into the ground in front of her tombstone and the narrator immediately jumps in to say, don't worry, she's going to wake up in her bed just like she's not dead. Right. So there's this comical reversal of the death of Marley at the beginning. Um, And then when she does wake up and we see her coming out, you know, that uh, that which I think is shot really well of the the neighborhood all out playing hockey in the street. Uh, and, uh, and the ball rolling into her yard and then her boot stepping on the thing and everybody gasping and freezing when they see her, um, the way that she has this chilling effect, right, on everybody else, like, like, like Scrooge did, um, you can see them putting her in that role and kind of pointing to that element, though, though they're not talking about the character of Scrooge. Um, Yeah,
1: you get that other moment. you get that community turning against them.
0: yes. Yes. But of course, the thing that's uh, so different about this film is that we're distanced from the whole thing, right? Um, Because those two things, so these elements from the story are being explicitly tied to her character, right? Like the emphasis is that this, the story of Christmas Carol is being replayed here in this modern context we're just coming at the very tail end of that, right? We, yeah. we don't know her story. We, we didn't begin at the beginning with her. We're beginning at the end with her, though it's picking up those things from the beginning. But the whole time from the, with the voiceover especially, and then as you say, particularly then forcefully in the scene when, especially when the ghost of Christmas yet to come drops out of character, right? Um, yeah. And starts speaking the way that he speaks, <laughs> right? Um, it, it distances us from... The inter the the, the 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 sort of internal narrative of uh, of of her Sc- Scrooge like trajectory
1: and it separates her in a different way too because she's not important. We're watching yeah, we're watching the Scrooge like character, but it doesn't matter she's just this year's test subject. you know what's important is the story that's happening on the side to her. So she's just the lead character this year, but it could be somebody new tomorrow. What's important is how they're getting that story told.
0: Yeah. Yeah. By the way, one little detail that I didn't appreciate because I was watching it for the first time. The last time we talked about this was how they did that freeze frame thing when she's going out, she hits the ball and then she goes out into the road. Um, Like they, they do the freeze frame thing and they talk with her while everyone else in the mortal world is frozen. Right. Um, And then she resumes into the flow of time and immediately gets hit in the head with the ball. Right. As an anticipation of the getting hit by the bus at the end uh, of the film in the under exactly the same circumstances Um, that, that little foreshadowing was kind of fun. And of course I, didn't know enough to see it the first time I saw it, but.
1: And, and I like that moment for a different reason of like when the music starts to swell, when everything's frozen and you see the the spirits and everything come out of the distance, mm-hmm. it feels like a musical number. It yes. feels like a show. So we're very quickly in a production Um, And we're not in a morality story about somebody finding their heart. That does happen, Mm -hmm. but it's very much about the production. So it's just immediately reframing our expectations. So we kind of know the story we're going to be told, especially after you're introduced to Ryan Reynolds and what a jerk he is. You're like, ooh, Mm -hmm. something's going to attach here. Um, But yeah, I don't think you get that at the beginning at all, like you do with the other Christmas carols. It's like, yeah, there's this thing that we know you know, so we're going to play with that but we're going to show you the production
0: behind it. Right. And that seems to me to be also a turn on what Dickens is doing with his narrator as well. It's another version of like they, they go to another entire level of saying, yeah, this whole story is being orchestrated, right? We're going to take you behind the scenes, but behind the scenes is a musical pr- production itself. It's,
1: it's, right? Yeah, it's a totally different behind the scenes.
0: Yeah. Totally different behind the scenes, but again, they're like it's when you go behind the scenes that all of a sudden a very Broadway-esque musical number breaks out and they're all commenting about how like the afterlife is a musical and uh, Oh
1: yeah, and they're all very self-aware of it of like, oh yeah, there's a lot of dancing in the afterlife deal with it, you know? <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. Right. Um yeah. so it's uh, yeah, I I I found that very um I found that very interesting, Um, but again, the 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 way in which they sort of emphasize the manipulation of the story, like the framing of the story within, you know, as a deliberately staged uh, story, is um, uh, really draws attention. I think uh, to the the narrator, and even in a sense, uh, the whole Christmas Carol caroling thing that we were talking about. what role that implies for the story that we were discussing earlier on. Um, yeah. Man, there's a lot more to say about Spirited because it's a very interesting film. But looking at the opening, that was the way that they both connect it, but also really, I obviously yeah. disconnected okay. by starting at the end of the story instead of the beginning, mm-hmm. right? It's, uh, there's, there's an almost explicit reversal while, you know, trying to, re- trying to, to, to point to that core and even picking up some of the elements from the from the original descriptions
1: and still emphasizing the need for that narrator frame and the feeling of other with the Scrooge so like I feel like when you start talking about spirited you're like oh it has nothing to do with the original story it's such a great you know departure from the original right. story or, or phrases like that but it does it has a lot to do with the original story and it mm-hmm. relies pretty heavily on our knowledge of it yes but because of our core knowledge as a community or Species, <laughs> then right. they do get to play with it a fair bit more. Yeah. Um, and it's not until way later that we find out that Scrooge is even more of an integral part of the story than we thought. But it doesn't rely on that by that point. We have so much else going on. Yeah. Based on the framework that it, it just works really well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're running low on time, but we'll come back to Spirited next week. Um, maybe we should reverse it and start with Spirited next week, so that we don't do that. we don't uh, uh, yeah. shove it into five minutes at the end. But and it's
1: Spirited, and it's Spirited that gave you your aha moment last year. For yeah. Next week's theme.
0: Yeah, it was. It was. So okay. So what we're gonna do um, next time? We want to do another Christmas Carol discussion because it's still the holidays, um, and we we want to do. Um, we've been doing this opening series which is interesting because of course the opening scene it's worth doing an analysis of an opening scene of a film or the opening pages of a book all by themselves without even doing any comparative element, right? Like what is being, what promptings are you being given? What groundwork is being established? What yeah, we, what's
1: necessary for this story to happen? Like what is the foundation that someone needs in order to engage with a story? Like that alone is a really cool case study. Like it is. what do we see first? That pulls it you is.
0: In? And it certainly has helped, uh, to, to spotlight for me not only some of the things that these different works are doing, but the ways in which they're doing to really emphasize the different, uh, you know, um, tools at, at the disposal of a novelist versus a, uh, versus a filmmaker. But what we also want to do, um, and this is the thing we're going to be doing, we're going to probably come back and do this with many of the other works that we've already talked about also later too, is to be jumping ahead and choosing a particular scene, a particular important moment in the story and doing a close comparison of how do the different, do these different versions treat that particular thing? Because of course, as we've seen the openings, they're all equally important as openings, but they're often not treating even the same thing. Right? Um, So instead we want to look at a scene, which is a, a, a critical moment in the story um and look at how the different versions how the book presents it and then compare that to and to each other how different works to it. So what we what the moment we're, we're going to do this with Christmas carol next week. Um and the the moment we want to look at is when Scrooge wakes up, like that moment of change. Moment of change. The moment of change. He wakes up and realizes it's still Christmas, right? There's still time. And what does he so do? From like
1: the, the grave to the end, basically. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. But with special attention to like the earliest part of the sequence, right? From from his waking up forward. Um, and, uh, and so we want to look at that for the same three films, right? We'll, we'll come back to the same three films and we'll come back to the book and we'll look at how they handle that moment. And Phil, it is certainly true that for some adaptations, it might simply include ignoring what is a pivotal scene or downplaying a pivotal totally. scene. Absolutely. That would be and that then, would be one of the interesting things.
1: Yeah, And that's where you come into some interesting ideas from different perspectives of like, well, that one totally messed it up because they dot, dot, dot. Right. And obviously with Christmas Carol, it's kind of an easy one for us to look into. And I love the we doing this kind of broader spectrum look and then a deeper dive into specific things. But think back to some of the works that we've talked about or any of the Tolkien stuff that we could talk about it's such a great way to case study adaptation. So we've done broad, we've done opening, and now we'll start to do a close reading, and we'll have a nice little tight series. Yeah, Love it. yeah. And I might have a voice by next week. <laughs>
0: exactly, <Yes>. exactly. <laughs> so back to *Christmas Carol* next week. We'll look at those scenes. Uh, the Scrooge wakes up, or the Scrooge character wakes up. Um, it's a little more complicated and spirited. In spirited, we're gonna are we gonna focus on the Ryan Reynolds character and his moment of of realization basically
1: yeah Yeah. i think he's the most important one in that and yes okay there's many more things i want to say there but i'm just going to say yes okay focus
0: on great great
1: Um, and then the following week is christmas so we will meet you then yeah that'll be a good setup to say merry christmas it'll be literally christmas day
0: yeah so we're not (laughs) we're not going to meet on christmas day um
1: i will be watching muppets though so
0: there we go there we go um i think that uh my son has never seen The Muppet Christmas Carol. So I think you uh,
1: call yourself a father.
0: Well, I you know, this is why uh, uh, Maggie, my wife and I developed the policy of what we call um, uh, compulsory cinematic education. um, Yes. Which is weekly family movie night where we force our children to watch movies we think it important for them to have seen. Okay, Um, so
1: he's quite old and there are 52 weeks in a year. How is this and we've yet? not
0: gotten around to it yet. Yes, yes. Uh, it's that I'm not trying to say that there is no blame to be ascribed for our laxity. I'm only saying that there's still time. <laughs> that's
1: all. That's true. I'm still appalled. Yeah, that's true. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh well, God. I have to admit my my wife is not a huge Muppet fan in general. Um, so I still love
1: her. Yeah. But that just means she hasn't had her gateway movie and surely yeah. Muppet Christmas Carol is the gateway for a Jane Austen fan. Yeah. Her
0: her gateway to the Muppets was the original Muppet movie. Um, which she always found sad. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> a kind of sad and depressing. <laughs> it's little,
1: that, the original Muppet movie is a little rough. I would start with Muppets and then move to Jason Segel. So yeah. That's that's my pathway.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. All right, so next week, same movies different spot same
0: movies different spots all right thanks everybody that's good appreciate Take it care, see you guys. next week bye bye